The laws of uncleanliness, Leviticus chapter 11. The book of Leviticus is about holiness. That's what the book is all about. It is a a God's way of bringing clarity and understanding to his people um, that they are to live holy lives. And God lays out a very clear plan for them how to live out holiness in their lives. Because holiness means God's people were separated or being separated or set apart. So God says, I'm taking my people, I'm separating them from the world. I'm setting them apart for him, for him alone, to serve him, to live for him, to to please him. That's what he's doing. Once you're saved, he does the same thing. He sets your life apart for you to live a holy life, to be live a, a life that's separate, set apart in a way that you live for him, you want to please him, you want to, to follow and be obedient to him. That is how it plays out. So we see that played out in chapters 1 through 7 when he laid out the sacrifices and the offerings. In chapter 8 through 10, we see that he started the priesthood so that the priesthood would be in charge of leading the people in those sacrifices and offerings, but be uh, leading the spiritual aspect of, of the people. To follow God. And then we see now chapters 11 through 15, he teaches them how to be holy people in an unholy world. And he does that today. He teaches us by his word how to live holy in an unholy world. He did it in the Old Testament, he does it in the New Testament. It's the same God as yesterday, today, and forevermore. Now, coming out of the land of Egypt after being there for 400 years, coming out of the world that they only knew of. And now God taking them through the desert and bringing them into the promised land, into the new world, the new promised land that he promised them as his children that are set apart and separated. He preserved them and brought them through the tremendous story we went through in in Exodus. But how important it was where they lived a certain lifestyle in the world we called Egypt. Now bringing them into a promised land, a new land that God held for them and designed for them. And how even more primitive and unknowing that land was for them. It wasn't like they were going from some poverty stricken, uh, terrible third world country kind of a feel. And then going into the, oh, the luxuries of life and technology and oh, how great and how wonderful. No, that's not what happened. Egypt was well developed in that time. Now they're going into primitive state, into the promised land, and they were going to have to start fresh and new and build a life according to God's way. And it's the same thing for us. We come from the old world, Egypt. We come from that worldliness and all the things that it offers a life and the desires of that life. And God says, now I'm going to separate you from that. And you're going to start new, a new life, a new beginning. And it will be different. And it will be a struggle. And sometimes an under, you're just not getting it. You're just not to get a grip of this. And the tendency is to what? Go back to the old life that you're used to, even though it was destroying you. And God said, no, 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 no. I set you apart. 
you're, you're separated from the world now. You're to live holy. And here's what and how you're to do that. Here in the Old Testament, we see that. And so we're under the Old you know, we're not under the Old Testament Moses' law. Remember, Jesus fulfilled the law on the cross. Colossians 2.13 says it clearly. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Jesus, has made, has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You've been forgiven. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, it was important to have this divine revelation on the subject of ceremonial uncleanliness in relations to, and we will see tonight in chapter 11, uh, this, uh, this relationships to the diet of, of the people. We will see in chapters 13 and 14, we will see how important it was that they were to stay clean and not unclean. The laws of uncleanliness and how to deal with that in chapters 13 and 14 regarding diseases. And then other forms of physical uncleanliness we will see in chapter 12 and chapter 15. But because these chapters relate to matters involving responsibilities of the priests... And the leadership, Moses, we will see in verse 1 that now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying to them. So God is clearly communicating to Moses and to Aaron because of the responsibilities that both Moses and Aaron had that the Lord expected. The intent of the laws of uncleanliness was essentially theologically and religiously. Now, yes, we're going to get through this, and it's going to make sense that God did this to preserve and protect his people in regards to cleanliness. And we will see some of those things, and it will highlight this as we go through. But from birth to burial, the Jews had to submit every aspect of their daily lives to the authority of God's law. We too. Once we become a child of God, from birth to burial, we are to what? Every, submit every aspect of our daily lives to the authority of the Word of God. When, in, when was your birth? Your new birth is when you became a new believer. That was your new birth. Happy birthday to you. That's when your new life began. So from that point of being saved until the Lord takes you home, that period of time you and I are to live every aspect of our life that is pleasing to God, according to his word, not the world. So we sit here, these laws that God gives them, first one, in the, there's going to be three groups, but the first group we see in verses 1 through 8 is animals living on the land and how they were to eat animals and what animals were not to be eaten. And we are going to see that clearly laid out here. And verse 2 says, Speak the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those who have clothed hooves, the camel. Because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves is unclean to you. 
The rock, uh, Hickrix, uh, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. Verse 6, the hare, the rabbit, uh, because it chews the cud but doesn't have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, that favorite pig of ours, uh, through it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. I know that's shaking some of you, that you're not supposed to be eating bacon, but back then they could not eat it. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. So again, we see in chapter 11, you can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 3 through 20, and you will find this is almost identical in communications of the laws of uncleanliness right here. But in verse 3, note that among the animals, whatever divides the hooves and having cloven hooves and chewing the cud that you may eat. That's pretty basic. Two criterias of things you can, that you have to look for to know if this is kosher or not as a Jew. We see that the simple rule was an animal had to have divided hoof. Not a single hoof like a horse. A horse has a single hoof. You couldn't do that. It is a divided. And it had to chew its cud. <laughs> the way it chewed it determined if you could eat it or not. Now, in verse 4, those, these you shall not eat among those who chew the cud and those who have a cloven hooves. And the example he gives here is that the camel, and the rock hyrix, and the, the rabbit all chew cud, and you can see them chewing cud, but, not do it, uh, but they do not have the divided hooves. Instead, they have paws, and they are considered unkosher, and they were not to touch. In verse 7, we get to our favorite one of today, and that is the swine. But they said you can't touch that. Even though the swine had divided hooves, but it does not chew the cud, so it was considered unkosher. Now again, God's wisdom is God's wisdom, and he understands these things, especially when it comes to the swine. Because we now know medically that... The swine, if not prepared properly, has a lot of several uh, parasitic organisms uh, that can cause sickness and problems within the people. So God knew that the people did not. And so they had to, this tapeworm infestation could happen and God's preventing the people from going through that. That's one of the reasons why he says, don't touchy, no touchy on the pig, the swine. In verse 8, we saw that the flesh you shall not eat and their carcasses you shall not touch. So it doesn't matter if the animal is clean or unclean, you're not to touch the carcasses. <laughs> it made you ceremonially unclean. So additionally, one could not touch these things. And we see that clearly God was not making these new rules up as he's going here. We see back in Genesis chapter 7, Verse 2 in chapter 8, verse 20, when we studied Genesis, that these same things God was already clearly lining out. These are just, God was just now using uh, Moses to bring some arrangement and clarity to the people as they were coming out of the old life, the Egyptian world, going into the new life. There was some guidance being in the desert and being camping as they're going. You got to have some rules and arrangements or the people were going to die because of sickness. But at the same time, He's teaching them about obedience and teaching them about 
trusting and following by faith the things of God and not be ruled by the flesh. <laughs> and you gotta, you have to understand these things. God was teaching his people then. He'll teach us to do the same thing here, especially when it comes to uh, denying of the flesh and the things of the flesh and of the world. So why did God disallow certain animals for food? Well, partially because of hygienic considerations, but the primary reason seems to be a theological teaching of the people to teach them symbolically Israel's status as the holy separated people to God. You don't do it the world's way, even when it comes to food in that time. Now, it's interesting, if you notice when we read through that, normally if God says no touchy, there's usually a consequence when you do touchy. And in this case, there is no, nothing in the scriptures that shows that there's any punishment by God if they did do these things. There, there's no punishment stated in violations of the commandments uh, not to, un, to eat unclean animals. But... If they touch a carcass of a clean or unclean animal, they would ceremonially be unclean. Why was that important? Because in we see in the scripture, verse, especially verses 32 through 38, they had to wash themselves outside the camp. That means there will be a, a point in time where they would not be able to be in the camp, in their homes, or be around society until the evening time after they've cleansed themselves and after there's a period of time. And so it would become very obvious to people why you're not hanging around that you somehow touched a carcass and, and did something that was, you broke the law of uncleanliness, right? Verses 9 through 12, we see the second group. These were the water animals. We saw the land animals in the first group. Now we see the water animals. And it says, these you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the, the seas or in the rivers, that you may eat. But all in the seas or in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, all that move in the water or, are, or any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. They shall be an abomination to you and you shall not eat their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever, whatever in the water does not have fins and scales, that shall be an abomination to you. So we see in 9 through 12, some th clear things of what they can eat and what they can't eat. Now, for some of us who love seafood, this is a great thing. In fact, oh, praise God for the new covenant. Praise God, we're free to eat these things. Because you imagine if you're a sea lover and you love the things in the water, and there's a lot of things you couldn't eat. And we will see that. Because these you may eat if they're, if they're all in the water. The rule, again, was simple. Any water creature having both fins and scales was kosher, and you could eat it. But if it didn't have the fins and didn't have the scales, whether in the sea or the rivers, you could not. And so the principle is really much is most fishes were considered clean, except a fish like a catfish, which has no scales. So for those of you who are bullhead lovers... You wouldn't be able to have any, I'm sorry to say, at your VFW moments. 
selfish would be considered unclean. So you claim clam lovers, you crab lovers, you oyster lovers, you, you lobster lovers, all would be very sad today. But notice the word he uses in the scripture is not just simply unclean, no touchy. He says it's an abomination. That word is a stronger word than unclean. That would be a much stronger word. It means detestable. That is not only, oh, you're unclean. No, that was detestable. It's a much stronger word. That's why. Why is that? Well, all of us know if you cook fish that dots cooked properly, you can get really, really sick. So, again, God is not only asking you to follow by, by obedience. This is how you follow God by faith. You have to trust him. He knows all things. Or do you think you're going to lean on your own understanding? Go do whatever you want to do and eat whatever you want to eat. That is not how it works as a child of God. We see the third group. This is some people's favorites. And those are birds and insects we will see in the two different groups. But the first part of the third group is the birds. In verse 13 it says, these, And these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. And they shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. And you can go through these things. It starts right off by the eagle, the vulture, and the buzzard. And you go through here. There's 20 different birds that are highlighted very specifically the ones you cannot take all the way down to the stork or the heron after its kind so you'll see it doesn't matter after its kind so it's not just one type of of uh of bird but if anything it's like that bird in the family that has come from that original kind none of those every raven and after its kind so it doesn't oh well that's a raven but that's not quite a raven but kind of off the family that was that was no touchy as well you're not to touch them so we see that there's no rule given to determine if a bird is clean or unclean in these verses 13 through 19 there's no clear indication what's clean or unclean. He clearly says to you and I, or to them in this case, to them that were giving the instructions to the people, the Israel, Israel, uh, Israel, the Jewish people there, these were the animals that are considered unclean or no touching. What are they? Well, again, there were all these specific birds. There were 20 in all. But it also included the bat. And we notice that there at the very end of 19, the bat. Even though it's, a bat's not considered a bird, in the eyes of God it still fell in the bird category or the winged category that are not to touch. Now the eagle and the vulture and the buzzard, these are common thread that's through most of these birds. And they were what? They fell in a couple of categories. They're predators. Or scavengers and that is what made them what you could not touch because of what they looked and went out and tried to find and eat they went out to eat things that were of dead carcasses and of bloods and things like that so they're picking up diseases and if you turn around and ate those birds you would be at risk and it's clearly God was preventing that Clean birds that could be eaten, that were not mentioned in here, were doves and pigeons and quail and sparrows. 
those type of birds were fair game. <laughs> those were delicacies if you were into the bird and the fowl kind of diet. Verses 20 through 23 is that second part of the third group, which was the insects. It says, all the flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours. Those which have jointed, that's interesting, jointed legs above their feet with which to leap on the earth. And these may these you may eat, the locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the tr- uh, cricket after its kind, and the grasshopper after its kind. But all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. So we see here all the flying insects here in, in verse 20 uh, that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. So among insects and any creeping insect was unkosher to the people. They were not to touch it, such as ants and grubs. You were not to eat those things. Yet if there was a flying insect with legs jointed above their feet, these could be eaten. Good examples of kosher insects would be the locust that he mentions here, or the cricket, or the grasshopper, especially the chocolate-covered ones. Those are the best of all. little roasted over open fire. I mean, these are beautiful things. John the Baptist had it right. He knew exactly what he was eating and what he could or could not eat. The only edible flying insects were these four specimens or species that we see. Now we see here that spiritual principle of separation from the defilement applies to you and I, the people of God, today. The fact that we know God must make a difference in every aspect of our lives to include even what we eat potentially. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. So what you take into your body and what you do with your body matters to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Very important principles for you and I today when it comes to eating, to drinking, or whatever else that is done to your body, you must be in prayer and seek God before you do it. God has not given his church a list of things today that are clean and unclean. But he's revealed enough to us in his word to help us know what pleases him and what doesn't please him. Or what we would refer to as grieving him or grieving the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And if it does, we are not to touch it. If God says that to you, don't touch this. Then trust in your God, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, and go, I'm going to eat it anyway, or I'm going to do it anyway. 
Because everyone else does it. Not doesn't matter what other people says. It matters what God has said to you. You let God deal with them. But for you, you're not to touch it because God said not to touch it. Are you with me? Remember three facts here. First fact is God gave these laws of uncleanliness that we're just talking about are laws only for the Jewish nation. Don't be taken as a Christian today and saying we're going to apply the laws that were for his people there in the desert going into the promised land to say that they are to be applied today. Two, obeying these laws guaranteed ceremonial purity for his people, but did not automatically make the person holy in character. Make sure you understand what I'm saying here. They did it because it was obedience to God and it made them ceremonially pure to worship God and to do and be about what God called them to do. But that doesn't make their change in their character. That character comes in time as God works in and through their lives. We are made clean. We have been set free. We are His people. We are ceremonially pure because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean your character has been developed and transformed and changed, that comes as we follow Jesus and his, based on his knowledge of him and obedience to him, he works through our lives, sanctifying us and building a godly characters in our lives. That is a process of hard work for some of us that God has to do, overwork overtime for us. Some of you I know, you're already there. You were already born that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. But some of us, it's overtime for God to work on us. And lastly, the third key fact is that the laws were temporary. These laws were temporary and were ended on the cross of Christ. They ended there. We see that clearly in Colossians 2.14 noted. Now in verses 24 through 28 of chapter 11 of Leviticus, we see what they needed to do when they came across a carcass and had to deal with a carcass and you were faced with having to touch one. We see it here in 24, it says, By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. The carcass of any animal which divides the uh, foot but is not clothed hooved or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean. And whatever goes on its paws among all the kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It is unclean to you. 
We see this verses 20 through 4 through 28. Unclean animals, when dead, couldn't just be left in the community and sit there and rot on the street. They had to be dealt with or they were going to have problems within the, in the camp. They had to dispose of any dead body or a carcass, I should say, of any animal that they come across. They had to deal with it. They just couldn't say, I'm not touching it. Are you going to tell you? I'm not touching it. I'm not dealing with this. Let's, let's just see if it just goes away somehow. No, they had to deal with it if they knew that it was there. But they had to be disposed a certain way. And But the people who did dispose of these unclean animals had to deal with their uncleanliness by washing and their clothes and a brief quarantine until the evening time. Sometimes I'll say, well, why did they have to do that? Well, I think when I meditated on that this the last couple of days, I think it's because many times things that are contaminated will die eventually and, and will not be, you know, have a factor in your life. Once the heat and once it's dissipated after a period of time, it doesn't become an issue anymore. But whatever it was, once you've washed and everything's, you know, it's clean, they said, just give it time, let the air get circulated, make sure it's not on you anymore before you go back into the camp and then cause a problem within the family or the, your neighbor. But they had to quarantine for a period of time. Now this means that if a dead rat, let's say, was found in the Israelite village, it would be carefully and promptly disposed of, and, and one disposing of it would wash afterward. They would make sure they're clean. It didn't matter how small or how big that rat was. It was you touched a carcass. It had to be discarded and it had to then wash. And this would help prevent any disease in any significant way to coming into the camp. Now if you remember back around 1350, what took place? The bubonic plague took place in England, if you remember, in Europe's population. One quarter of the population of Europe died because of the bubonic plague. Why? Because there was this black death that came across them. Why? Because the, the, these rats and other things were getting into the bowls and all kinds of things. And they weren't taking care and keeping things clean. And it spread like wildfire and had massive death come across. Can you imagine a quarter of your population dying. Amazing. Because of uncleanliness, not keeping. Now, what do you go back and look up the history? What really was sad was because the Jewish people living in Europe at that time was following the rules and following the laws of uncleanliness, they did not do the things that the rest of the Europeans were doing. They were spared from death. They didn't have the death toll anywhere near this. And because of it, Satan turned around and the enemy turned around and used that against the Jews. And the people in Europe said it was the Jews that must have been the mastermind behind all of these deaths because of the people. Now, that's no, that's no coincidence, right? There's no such thing as coincidence. I believe that's exactly what will play out here in the end times. That same spirit will move around when there's massive death. They will start blaming the Jews or the Christians for not doing and following whatever the rules are. 
I believe it's already planting out there. So don't be deceived when you start watching these take place. But they turned on the Jews back then because God had already uh, already set the people in motion to do what is good and right. And because of that, they were spared to the death. But then the enemy used that against them. Verse 27 in here of these verses that we saw, whatever goes on its paws. And so, yes, you have little Fluffy, your little cat that you cherish, died, and now you're holding on to that little Fluffy carcass. You have to become, it's unclean, and you now need to deal with that carcass of that beautiful little cat that you had. And in you had to ceremony became unclean and you would have to then wash and wait until the evening time before you could re-enter. In verse 28, we see that when the carcasses, after you wash your clothes and become unclean until evening, this shows that the uncleanliness was not the same as being in the state of sin. The state of sin required a sacrifice in being unclean does not require a sacrifice. That's why we did not see that in the first seven chapters. But you would become ceremonially unclean. And it was a state of ceremonial impurity that needed to be addressed in their lives. Now keep in mind, the concept of being unclean till evening not only prohibited participation in the worship, but also strictly in the movement of what you could do within in society for that day so you didn't cause contamination. Now we see verses 29 through 30. These are the more uh, unclean animals. We see they're kind of like reptiles and creeping things. It says, these also, the, these also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole. I'm sure it's in the same family of the vole that we don't like. But the mouse, the large lizard after its kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, and the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. You're not supposed to touch them. Verse 31. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. Whether it is an, any item of wood or clothing or skin or sack, whatever item it is in which any work is done, it must be put in water and it shall be unclean until evening. Then it shall be clean. So even not only if you touched it, if any of those dead carcass stuff touched any of the uh, anything items on a table it got set on or some chair or something, you better clean that thing and the set it aside and let it air out and make sure it's good before it can become clean that evening. Uh, verse 33, any earthen vessel into which any of them falls you shall break. Rat got in the bowl, the bowl was to be broken. That's how clear it was. Whatever is in it shall be unclean. In such a vessel, any edible food upon which water falls becomes unclean. And any drink that may be drunk from it becomes unclean. And everything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether it is in, a, in an oven or cooking stove, it shall be broken down. For they are unclean and shall be unclean to you. 
Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean, but whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. Now, there's a little exception when it comes to the spring or the, or the cistern. Probably because water was so scarce, you just couldn't get rid of water and the cistern that collected water. That was precious. So there was a, it seems to be there was some acceptance allowance for that not to be taken and getting rid of. Um, verse 37, And if a part of any such carcass falls on any planting seed, which is to be sown, it remains clean. But if water is put on the seed, and if any part of any such carcass falls on it, it becomes unclean to you. So we see here that from a, from a hygienic standpoint, these laws were very important to keep their people absolutely as healthy as possible. Again, any rodent, anything that gets in and around on plates and bowls and or anything like that can cause a major disease like a bubonic plague. And everything on which a par of any such carcass falls shall be unclean. There is no question about it. But that's my grandmother's fine china. What do you mean? that? that I'm sorry. You know, that's the rules. You can't be compromising on because of some earthly thing that it becomes so precious that you're not willing to give up that if that is what happened. It's the law of the, that God has set in place. Again, the spring and the cistern was the only thing that perhaps were in the dire need for water. They just couldn't get rid of a source of water if somehow uh, that happened. Now, 39 and 40, we see the carcasses of the clean animals. If any animal which, of which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. He who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It seems like this pattern, if you notice here, the laws apply to the natural death of clean animals as well and not to their butchering for food or death for sacrifice. We're talking carcasses of animals that were dying here. And those handling such carcasses were ceremonially unclean and they had to wash just like if it was an unclean animal and it had to wait until evening. And if you notice, he repeats it multiple times. I love how God repeats it over and over. So there's absolute clarity. Did you hear me? I think so. Did you hear me? Yeah, I think maybe. What did he say? No, let me say it one more time. If you were ignoring me the first, second, the third time, is the bell should be ringing that yes, you should be paying attention. Many times today, parents will say, one, two, they know, you get to three, there's consequences that are going to be coming in some form or fashion. God gave us three times. 41 through 43, we see these creeping animals that are considered unclean. Again, we read it very quickly that Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination and shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth, these you shall not eat, for they are an abomination. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any detestable, <laughs> with, uh, with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. 
Why? Verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. This is why I'm telling you. Why do we have to do all of this? This is crazy. This is, I don't know how am I going to get. Why? Because in verse 44, for I am the Lord your God and you shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 45, for I am the Lord, master in control, who brings you up out of the land of Egypt. Remember who brought you out of Egypt, out of captivity? Remember? To be your God. I brought you out for me to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. That's the standard. Are you with me? That's the same standard that God had for his people in the Old Testament. It's the same standard that he has for his people here as we read in the New Testament. It hasn't changed. It's the same God. Yesterday, today, forevermore. You as a child of God, are God, I am holy. Now you need to be holy. That's my expectation and I'm going to work in your life. You must choose to follow and be obedient verse 46 this is the law of the animals and the birds and every living creature that moves in the water and every creature that creeps on the earth verse 47 to distinguish between the unclean and the clean between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten so we see here very clearly god claims the right to speak to every area of your life including what you eat we had the right to tell, he had the right to tell Israel what to eat and what not to eat. He is God. One of the greatest purposes of the dietary laws for Israel was to sanctify them, to set them apart from other nations and what they were doing. It made them a fellowship of people with those who did not serve God. They were not part of this. But if you were in the fellowship and of, with God, you were to follow this. We see the sanctifying effect, do we not, in Daniel chapter 1? Where Daniel... And his friends refused to eat the unkosher food that the king of Babylon, Babylon's table was offering them and told them that he should have it. But God set them apart and God blessed them for his righteousness by bringing them through that test that they were trying to force them to eat unkosher food that they knew they were not supposed to do according to God's law. They were obedient to God versus obedient to some king or some man that was telling them what to do. And they weren't to defile themselves. You're not to defile yourselves. Not only did unclean animals defile one spiritually but there was also a hygienic issue that could cause defilement with their bodies and cause a spread of diseases and plagues uh, because it wasn't kosher a kosher diet and that has a rippling effect when you don't do it god's way it will affect not only you but all those around you and you always have to remember that 
Now, he says very clearly, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of Egypt. Now, I want to bring that highlight here because it was the second claim God had made upon Israel. I am the Lord who brings you up out of Egypt. The first claim was connected to his role as a creator. Here, this claim is, a re, I'm always your redeemer. Not only am I your God who saved you and created you right there and created you, I also saved you, I redeemed you out of the world. I am the Lord. You are to listen and you're obligated to God on both you're obligated to God because he's your creator and you're obligated because he's your redeemer. That is why we're obedient to our heavenly father. Now, some Christians believe we are under obligation to observe kosher diets today. But if you remember, if you know the scripture, that conversation of that subject or that issue was settled, we see in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. And it was clearly determined that the obedience of the Mosaic rituals were not required of the followers of Jesus Christ. That was settled. That's why anyone today who thinks they're more righteous and more religious and say, I follow a specific diet because it's godly and you should do the same thing, they're legalistic. Help them go back and read Acts chapter 15 so they understand and let them be free from that mentality. We also see that Paul pointed out that they, we, were, we have the full liberty to eat whatever we want to. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and also 3 through 5. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says, In the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Jump down to 3 and through 5, and it says, Commanding to abstain from food, from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So anyone who's legalistic, anyone who is out there telling you you have as a Christian have to start following a certain diet, like you can't eat meat and you can't do that, you get away from the swine, you know, those things. Take them to 1 Timothy lovingly, to chapter 4, have them read it through and let them know that at the end time, we're going to see these latter times where people are going to come out. They're going to start saying they have this faith, but they're going to be departing from the faith. Even though they say they have faith, they're going to be departing from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's a nice light subject you can have with those who tell you this. Now, some are under the control to food. Some people are under the control of food. Food controls them. Or to certain foods. And that is sin under the principle of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. 
So it's important, don't allow food to be so freely and so there. We know gluttony is a sin, but we also know there's certain foods you should not be touching because God says don't touch. Don't sit there and say, I'm free to do it. No, if God says you're not supposed to touch it, don't touch it. And then 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. We see in the scripture it is important for you and I that many would benefit from the attitude of self-denial and bodily discipline for your health and for your life. You must bring your body under control and discipline, especially when it comes to food. Now, when you talk to look at, take a look at these things, and taking these considerations, Christians are free to eat and not eat whatever they please. And no one should think themselves more right with God because they eat and don't eat certain things. So don't walk out of here thinking and get wrapped up into the, this whole movement that can, is, happens in Christian circles at times. But look at how God is detailed to help his people, his holy people, to set them apart from the world. These laws were to clearly remind the people that they serve a holy God. And they were to be continual reminders of the holiness of God and his grace in choosing Israel 